Welcome to the December 8th, 2017 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the Colorado Democratic Party soliciting opinions on a new name for its annual dinner. It's been known as the Jefferson Jackson Dinner for much of its 85-year history, but party officials decided to drop the two names due to both the presidents owning slaves and Jackson's role in the Indian Wars. Pat Calhoun from Westward, uh, do you have a recommendation for a new name for the dinner? I would say strike up the bland because there is just no personality left. Although I have an alternative, which is the John C. Calhoun dinner. At one point, uh, Jackson wanted to strangle my very, 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 very distant relative who was a slave owner. And I suppose I should be changing my name now, too. Although he was very pro-states rights, so for pot purposes, I think I'll have to keep it. That's a, a good move. I like the consistency. Uh, David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Um, I, I, I get the sensitivity, and we talked about before we started rolling, that some, uh, a lot of different states have gone through this. But uh, w what's your take on that? Is this a little bit too much, especially the idea of Jefferson? Uh, of course, it's ridiculous. Uh, Jefferson's one of the founders of the country, and Jackson was a great president for the people. Uh, his, his Indian policy was, was very wrong, uh, but he led the fight against the Bank of the United States, that concentrated swamp creature, uh, and fought hard and, and ultimately defeated it and saved this country for the rest of the century from, from central banking. But let's, let's presume the rule is you, you can't have owned slaves. You have to be a Democratic president, no slaves, and for prudence, let's say also next, no sex scandals. So the available candidates are Martin Van Buren, Franklin Pierce, Grover Cleveland, Harry Truman, Jimmy Carter, and, of course, Barack Obama. Um, so I would suggest uh, make it the Cleveland-Truman dinner, which captures two excellent presidents who represent different sides of the Repu Democratic Party, which should be in coalition with each other. That's actually a productive uh, solution there, David. I really like that. I hope the Democrats are listening. Uh, Eric Sondman, political analyst, uh, with, uh, in your days in the past as a consultant, if, if you were still a consultant and uh, the Colorado Democratic Party called you about handling the situation, what would your recommendation be? Well, when I think of days in the past, I think of many evening spent at that dinner 20 and 30 uh, and more years ago and glad that in my current role I'm no longer called to do that because it is often an interminable evening and it is awfully often painful. I mean it's the Democrats now really trashing their heroes and in, in part of this movement of knocking down statues across the south and whatever which I think has some danger or certainly can be taken to an excess. The name I'm going to come up with is there's only one thing these days Dominic that unites Democrats. They don't know what they're for, but they sure know who, what they're against. So I think they need to call this the Donald Trump dinner because that is the unifying <laughs> factor uh, for Democrats these days. Democrats need to be paying Donald Trump rent because uh, he's taken up residency deep inside their heads. <laughs> Another good suggestion. Ran at the panel, Penfield Tate, attorney with QTAC Rock, also a longtime state lawmaker. Uh, what do you think about this rebranding opportunity for the Colorado Democratic Party's annual dinner? Well, and I, I get the rebranding. It seems a little silly at this late date, but I get the fact that you want to distance yourself from very problematic 
um, people uh, in, in your history. The problem is everybody's got issues. So you probably need to name it after a soap opera like Search for Tomorrow or <laughs> Dazed and Confused or something so that you're talking about a theme and not a person um, because we all have issues. And so anybody they name it after is going to have issues. So I'm, I'm thinking Search for Tomorrow may work. I like the annual theme thing. I can keep it keep it changed every year. It's gonna, this really kind of like a high school prom or something. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Enchantment under the sea dance. I like this. This is good. I, I hope the Car Democrat Party is listening. And for all the great ideas you've had, you're welcome. Let's get to it. The U.S. Supreme Court heard a Colorado-based case focused on religious freedoms versus discrimination this week. The case stems from a Lakewood baker who refused to make a wedding cake for a same-sex couple back in 2012. Uh, Patty, we have heard a lot about this case. Uh, much was made about the questions from Justice Kennedy. Uh, everyone seems to think he's going to be the swing vote. He has been on a lot of tight issues. Do you think he's the swing vote on this, and what did you make of what we heard? I think he probably will be the swing vote. I'll leave some of this to the lawyers. I have to say, <laughs> longest-running case, what, five years? And one of the fascinating things to me is that Jack Phillips, the owner of Masterpiece Cake Shop, calls himself a cake artist, which gets you into a kind of different area of free speech than if you just happen to be a business that is offering wedding services. So if a country club refused to, uh, or a, a public place you can rent for a wedding, refused to let a same-sex couple be there, they would be in trouble unless, I guess, they were venue artists, in which case maybe they could also refuse to do it. I think... I'm hoping the Supreme Court comes down on the side of the fact that you are not allowed to discriminate, that if you are a business offering a service, you offer it to everyone. David, uh, you're one of our two esteemed lawyers at the table. As you've seen uh, the, the case come down, and, and, and as if people don't know, David actually has experience when arguing in front of the Supreme Court. So from what you saw and uh, the case as you know it, who has who the stronger chance? What, what do you think we're going to see when the decision comes down probably later this year, maybe in, even in June? Well, I'm looking forward to this principle being applied to Westward when uh, it will no longer be able, since it offers the business service of advertising and the Caldera ads of the I am so sexy, buy my 20, 2018 semi-nude calendar, and they have no ability to, uh, to turn it down. That's, Are you kidding? We'd sell it <laughs> that is That is true. That is true. <laughs> There, there's all kinds of different orientations out there. Um, the, in standard constitutional law precedent, the strongest case for the, the baker is in First Amendment law in the sense that he says, I've, of course, if you're gay and you want to walk in and buy a cake off the shelf, help, your, help yourself, but I won't do special decorations for things that are contrary to my religion, like he won't sell Halloween cakes, which cost him a lot of money or he doesn't make cakes that contain alcohol, this is part of the same kind of thing. And you, you can argue that, but he, he's got a respectably strong case on the First Amendment. But Justice Kennedy's interest in the case seemed to go in another direction. Just as the whole gay rights jurisprudence that exists in this country is Justice Kennedy opinion, starting with Romer v. Evans overturning a Colorado law uh, from a couple decades ago. And... Kennedy, rather than using the building on standard precedent and then, you know, taking it further, has really invented this whole new branch of law, of constitutional law, which is ultimately based on his application of the Catholic principle of the human dignity of the individual person. And so that's, and, and therefore the government has to treat individuals with a certain amount of respect. 
and that, that gets us from overturning the Colorado law banning anti uh, local anti-discrimination laws up, up through creating a right of gay marriage. He seemed to be signaling, I think, in, in some of his questions, that he was concerned that Colorado wasn't treating Jack Phillips with respect, including the contemptuous uh, things that some of the so-called civil rights uh, bureaucrats had said to him. And I think Justice Kennedy's ultimate point is, in a totalitarian society, there's only one correct or permissible way to think about things. And in a free society, we have pluralism, which means you can have gay marriage, but not everybody has to agree with it or participate in gay weddings, uh, in, including as a vendor, if they don't want to do so. Eric, I don't know what it is about Colorado. Uh, for better or for worse, we seem to find ourselves in the, the center of a lot of different uh, gay rights issues. It was, it was Amendment 2. It was uh, a variety of other legal opinions. Uh, we just seem to have this kind of uh, attraction, even though as a state, we're pretty purple. It's not like we're in the Bible Belt or uh, you know, uh, on the West Coast, anything like that. What do you think this is going, wherever the judgment goes, uh, the ruling rather, uh, later this year, how do you think it's going to affect how we uh, look at this issue and politicize the issue here in Colorado? It's a good question, Dominic. And I, I basically think the tipping point in Colorado and in much of the country was long since hit. I mean, uh, there is increasing as year by year goes by acceptance of gay rights and gay marriage. I'm totally on board with that. I hope to go to a gay wedding in my own family at some point in the future. Uh, I think you do have to put this in the context of the time. This case did not come about yesterday. It came about in 2012. In 2012, gay marriage was not legal in Colorado. The, the Oglethorpe, I believe that's the name of the decision. Um, Obergefell. Obergefell uh, decision from the U.S. Supreme Court hadn't happened and didn't happen for a number of years. In July of 2012, when the dust up at the Masterpiece Cake Shop happened, uh, it had only been a couple months after even President Barack Obama, Vice President Joe Biden, had come out in favor of gay marriage. It was not the law of Colorado. I probably on this one come down, uh, I'll be curious to what the decision is, I come down a little closer to David than I do to Patty, which is not always the case. I do think uh, we're in a mop-up action in, in, with some states left to be mopped up in terms of the public sentiment and public law on gay rights. But I do think in a pluralistic society, there needs to be more tolerance and more space for minority viewpoints. I do think the victors here, which is the gay rights side of the argument, um, need to maybe exercise a little more grace about allowing people to have an alternative viewpoint. I do not know why a gay couple would want a baker who's hostile to their viewpoint to make their wedding cake. There's not a shortage of bakers out there on any street in Denver or anywhere around Colorado. So if this one doesn't want to bake it for you, why do you want to force them to bake it as opposed to going to the other one two blocks down the road? Penn, you are our other esteemed lawyer at the table. What did you make of what we heard uh, at the, the oral arguments, I guess it was Tuesday, and how do you think this is ended up going to be coming down as a ruling? I'm not quite certain how it's going to come down because I think Justice Kennedy is the swing vote, but he had questions that sort of cut in either direction. The more I think and reflect on it, I, I, I think he's troubled with the concept of public accommodation. Because one of the things that this case sort of harkens back to 
is back in the 50s and 60s, um, African-American access to public accommodations, separate but equal. And it kind of goes to Eric's point. Um, if, you're, if you're having a, 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 a same-sex marriage ceremony, why do you want a baker who is opposed to, to, to your um, proceeding to prepare the cake? Uh, and, and the same could be said, well, why do you want to stay in this hotel chain or have your guest stay over here versus the other one? Well, because the other hotel chain is better. And should you be precluded from having that option just because they're, uh, you know, opposed to, to your um, orientation? And I think that's where Kennedy may, may come down on this and struggle with it. And I think that the guiding principle is, is if you put yourself out as open for business to the public, you have to be open for business to all of the public. In a unanimous vote on Monday, the Douglas County School Board ended its contentious private school voucher program as promised by the new slate of candidates elected last month. David, I know um, being a resident of Douglas County, some of the arguments down there were hoping that if this case went forward to the, the uh, Supreme Court, as, as, well, as it was going towards, that it would eventually address and overturn uh, the Blaine Amendment, at least here in Colorado. Even though this voucher program is dead, and assuming the case is also dead, can the Blaine Amendment still be challenged in some way? Well, yes, but not in, in this particular case, right. uh, since now there's no controversy between the parties. If, if the taxpayers for public education, uh, represented by the ACLU, brought the case, said we don't like our tax dollars being spent on this voucher program by the Douglas County School District, the Douglas County School District says, oh, well, that's it, we end it. Um, that's what they voted for on December 4th. There's nothing for a court to deal with. Um, and, and Colorado courts can, in some limited cases, situations, issue what are called advisory opinions, but th this isn't one of them. This was uh, of national importance. Over the, the past three decades or so, voucher and, and similar type of choice programs have become established in a lot of uh, urban areas. Uh, places where the, the public schools are, are notoriously failing. And, and not that every private alternative always works out well, but at least you can cut off the private alternative if it's not doing a good job, as opposed to the, the government school, which stays on forever, no matter how bad it is. Um, and that, that's not going to change. Those are, those are here to stay. But the anti-choice forces recognize that when that idea starts spreading into school districts that may be doing fairly well on the average for the middle-of-the-road student but may not be serving all the students well, uh, then that's a, a whole other ball game and more of a th uh, an even larger threat uh, to the unions and, and the, the swamp. So we, it's the same thing we saw in Jefferson County a couple of years ago, and then in Douglas County here, the National, or the National Education Association, the American Federation of Teachers, correctly recognized that experimentation with liberty and choice in major Denver suburban districts would really threaten their stranglehold on the system. And they put in lots of money brought in huge numbers of field organizers, ran really effective, well-run campaigns that also did a good job of keeping the national uh, masters in the background, um, and, and they won. Eric, you've been vocal about school choice and uh, a lot of issues related to this. Do you think that Douglas County, even though it was the focal point, 
they possibly overreached. They were trying to do too much too fast, and that brought this energy. Or was it just strictly about this particular issue that brought the, the, all the national money against them and really overturned their board? I don't know if they overreached on a substantive policy principle level, but they certainly overreached politically, and they got ahead of their community. And this is, uh, it's not that voucher issues die among traditional Democratic constituencies, particularly black or brown or low-income constituencies, where voucher ideas and proposals die, is it tends to be in mid-class to upper-class largely Anglo suburbs and Douglas County is a evidence of that they got quite far ahead of their community I anticipated this election outcome I didn't perhaps anticipate the 60 40 nature of it I thought it might have been you know 54 53 points as opposed to 60 points but this side won decisively I think it is too bad that we don't get a ruling whether it's a positive ruling or a negative ruling this case doesn't proceed to a ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court because I think that ruling would have been clarifying. I think one reason that so much money may have been dumped into Douglas County was that uh, opponents of vouchers did not want that ruling. They were worried about what that ruling uh, might say, so they wanted to moot out the case, and the Douglas County School Board, the new school board, sure didn't waste any time in doing that. Penn, uh, these kinds of issues seem to be a hotbed in Colorado. Do you think a voucher program, maybe not as uh, uh, not as big or as uh, far-reaching as what Douglas County planned, that something's going to come down the pike that will still push this issue in the future in Colorado? You know, I think we'll continue to discuss it, but I, I, I'm not certain if we'll see anything implemented because, in my experience, the voucher proponents have a, a series of rigid parameters they operate within which I think create issues for them. In my experience, when I served in the legislature, the problem we had is the voucher programs never gave the parents choice. It gave the schools the ability to choose and cherry pick which students they wanted because they didn't have to cover the cost of transportation. They didn't want to be held to the same standardized testing regime and protocols that public schools and even charter schools had, which means that as a parent, you had no way of determining if, if those standard measures are legitimate ways to measure performance, you know, had no way of comparing how these voucher schools worked. And third, even though you had a voucher, they didn't have to take your kid or accept you. And so the choice was really illusory. And what, what, what has often happened is it's not just in communities of color where they feel we're going to get discriminated against. It's even in majority communities where, well, we're not quite as affluent as this group down the street, and they may want the more affluent kids or the kids from the more affluent families than ours. And so it, it's, it's a process where you can't control who gets sorted and who gets sorted out. And, and until the voucher proponents figure out how they're going to deal with some of those issues, I think they'll have trouble gaining real traction in Colorado over time. Patty, the last year's Douglas County School Board gave us a lot to talk about this table. Do you anticipate much to talk about from them next year? I know it's a little disappointing because they were so wild. And I would like to think that at least some of that 60% vote that replaced the school board was simply in response to how badly behaved the school board had been during, uh, during those victory years for vouchers. I think I'm glad I don't have to try to understand the Blaine Amendment again for a while, but I'm assuming there will be some other case somewhere that brings that up again. In this case, you can't separate out the fact that we're talking about religious 
a lot of money going to religious schools with this voucher system, which set it in motion, what, five years ago? So I'm hoping Douglas County calms down and is quiet for a while and everyone on the board behaves like an adult rather than the kindergartners they did before. Let's get a quick take on this final one. State Representative Lori Sane was arrested at DIA this week after carrying a loaded handgun through security. Sane, who has a concealed carry permit, was carrying a semi-automatic handgun with four rounds of ammunition and said she had just simply forgotten that the gun was in her purse. Uh, Eric, your quick take on this uh, has the reaction, both her being jailed uh, and what we've seen as a media reaction, been overblown. I don't know if it's been overblown. Happy to give you a quick take. I, I think my main take, others can opine on whether the reaction was overblown. Two things. One, Lori Sane needs a checklist when she gets out of the car at the airport of what not to, to have in her purse. Uh, more importantly, Colorado Republican Party always perpetually seems to have a couple of legislators like Lori Sane who find their way into these bizarre headlines. And now just in the last week we had the appointment of this woman for the vacancy in this sort of Pueblo, Arkansas Valley District, Judy Rayher, who's had all kinds of racist and ridiculous social media posts over the years. And uh, there needs to be a little more vetting, shall we say, among uh, some Republican legislators and the powers that be. Penn, you're a former lawmaker. Uh, did you ever forget to bring a gun when you went to DIA? No, but one of my colleagues um, lost their purse with their pistol in it, and they locked down the Capitol a couple times, so it's happened before. Um, you know, I don't know if she needed to be arrested and detained overnight, um, but clearly it's it, it, being absent-minded is one thing, but this is just horrendously bad judgment. Patty, ever been stopped for bringing a weapon to DIA? Yes, yeah, speaking of horrendously bad judgment, this is my phone case, which also does not go through security at DIA. I've had several confiscated, but I have not been hauled off to jail and put in a jumpsuit, charming as it would be to wear it at this table. I think the Denver police overreacted. Talk about a fundraiser, holy smokes. Jumpsuits for all of us I think would definitely be get a lot of attraction. David, wrap it up for us. 106 people have made this year at DIA a similar careless error. It's a mistake, and, you know, there, there may be legal consequences for that. Of the 106, only one other person and Lori Sane were arrested, and she was held overnight in jail. That was ridiculous. She wasn't going to flee the jurisdiction. That really seems like politically motivated persecution for the purpose of getting her in the media in a negative way, and, and that makes me question uh, the judgment of Police Chief White. That, that's a very poor performance by the police department. Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. And as always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. Well, I'm so glad that the EPA director, Pruitt, needed to have build a $25,000 cone of silence in his office. And good for Diana DeGette for challenging him and asking exactly why he needed that. David. Alabama Senate candidate Roy Moore, who said he agrees with Vladimir Putin that the United States of America is the focus of evil in the modern world. That's a phrase that Ronald Reagan used back in, I think, 1983, discussing the totalitarian Soviet dictatorship. Nobody who thinks that should be in any position of power in the United States of America. Eric. That's only one of a number of reasons maybe why Roy Moore should not be in a position of power, and I think we know some of the other reasons. Uh, I'll go more local. Republicans are famous for promoting theories of voter fraud and for their uh, hypervigilance about voter fraud. Maybe they should look internally. We have a former chairman of the state Republican Party who was just Steve Curtis, 
who was just convicted of voter fraud for voting his ex-wife's absentee ballot and then came up with this phony line that he was in a diabetic episode. It was like the old Twinkie defense that some diabetic episode made me do it. Maybe a little personal responsibility. I can't imagine that was in the divorce decree. I can get to vote for me. Ben, I just can't believe he said that and said, I can still fill in the dots, though, but... Uh, nonetheless, um, it, it, and this is, I think, a huge one. Republicans in Congress, um, with all the wrangling back and forth over the tax bill, they're bandying about this idea of, of abolishing private activity bonds and scaring the bejeebers out of people, saying, oh, it's private activity. Well, you know, folks, private activity is how we finance airports, how we finance roads and bridges, how we finance colleges and universities, 501c3s, hospitals, and affordable housing. That's all about to go away unless some grown-ups enter the room pretty quickly. Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty. Colorado cooked up a pretty good deal when it got Top Chef to come to the state for this new season. It's very tasty watching and celebrates a lot of talented people in Colorado. David. A good idea promised in the campaigns of Bill Clinton, George Bush, and Barack Obama, voted for by the U.S. by Congress in 1995 and reaffirmed by the U.S. Senate by 90 to 0 last summer, has been brought to fruition by President Trump, who is recognizing the longstanding reality that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Every country gets to define what its own capital is, and this will help the cause of Mideast peace because the terrorist Palestinian groups, the Palestinian Authority and Hamas, persist in this fantasy that they'll exterminate the state of Israel. This is a sign to them. They need to realize that Israel is going to be here to stay, and they need to deal with it. Eric. Wish we had a lot of time to get into that. I don't, I, <laughs> I, I don't come to a different conclusion, but wish we had time. Uh, how about, uh, speaking of Roy Moore, how about uh, Arizona Senator Jeff Flake? And I've mentioned him on the program before. Uh, maybe it's easier when you've renounced your political career, but he sent a $100 check as a Republican senator to the Democratic <coughs> candidate in uh, Alabama with the heading that principal Trump's party. If we had more people with that priority list, uh, we'd be a better country. Penn. And the unfortunate thing is he wants principal to Trump party, but now he's leaving just because there's that absence of it. Um, just a shout out to the um, Gaylord Project. I know it's been controversial. I know it's been um, the subject of a bunch of lawsuits, but it's good to see it's 70 percent completed. It'll be interesting to see it when it's opened. That is all the time we have for this edition of Colorado Inside Out. As always, log on to our Facebook or Twitter to catch our CIO segments, both past and present. You can also find our podcast on iTunes and Google Play. And be sure to tune in Saturday night. We have a very special uh, event with our partners at Freedom Service Dogs. We'll be uh, talking about the program uh, Reflections in the Vietnam War. But anytime when you call in during that program, become a member of Colorado Public Television, we're going to give 30% of that pledge to our partners at Freedom Service Dogs. So be sure to check it out Saturday at 8 Excuse me, 6.30. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.